You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for March 22nd, 2020, the fourth Sunday in Lent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on the 23rd Psalm. Welcome to the fourth week of Lent, and as it says at the top of my notes, to pandemic. This is the second Sunday that we have not gathered in person, but we have gathered digitally and spiritually and mystically. And I welcome all of you who are members of St. Mark's, and I welcome all of you who are not members of St. Mark's. I welcome all of you who are Christians, and I welcome all of you who are Jews and Muslims and Hindus and yogis and free spirits. I welcome all of you who are spiritual and not religious, and all of you who are religious and not spiritual. The Jesus that we believe and know here is a man for all people, and he is a man for all reasons, and a man for all seasons, and particularly for this season of the pandemic. We call the readings that are given to us each Sunday the lectionary, and it is amazing how so often the lectionary delivers a gift to us, a word to us, just at the time we need it. And it seems to me that most assuredly the gift that we have received today is the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm may well be the most well-known prayer in the world. It is, of course, uh, uh, deeply key to the devotional lives of Jews and Christians, and it is, of course, known to so many of no tradition at all or other religious traditions. The 23rd Psalm, of course, is a prayer of comfort, right? It is a a song of trust, and it is a a guidance, a, a divine guidance, a spiritual guidance, making it, of course, the perfect prayer for a season of pandemic. And each of the phrases of the 23rd Psalm is worthy of contemplation of the heart. It is about a disposition of the heart and for us to contemplate each one of them. The 23rd Psalm that we just did, of course, is the King James Version, and the King James Version begins, the Lord is my shepherd. A tradition has it that King David was a shepherd, and he was also the author of the Psalms. We just heard, read by Jill, a reading from the first book of Samuel, and we're, we're told that David, the youngest of the boys, is out keeping the sheep. And we are also told that he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. I always love that stuff when the Bible gives us, what did this person look like, right? And David was clearly, shockingly handsome. Now, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord that uh, David is speaking about, of course, is referring to God and uh, probably God as king because shepherd in antiquity uh, had reverberations when used in a prayer like that uh, as king. And in the King James Version that you may see on your screen, Lord is in full caps. And that is the way that the translators signal to us that the underlying Hebrew word is God's name, right? And the anglicized version of God's name is Yahweh. Of course, we know that uh, Yahweh reveals his name to Moses at the burning bush when Moses says, what is your name? And he says, I am who I am. 
You might notice there that I am is used twice in that sentence. Now, that I am is picked up by Jesus in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel according to John. We heard part of that in the reading this morning. But we also hear it when Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. Interestingly, the earliest depictions of Jesus in Christian art are not of Jesus on the cross. That icon that became the symbol of Christianity was not the earliest icon. It was Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And the depictions of Jesus in this early Christian art make him like David, uh, ruddy and handsome, right, with beautiful eyes. And the depictions often have Jesus as the shepherd with the sheep over his shoulders, Jesus carrying the sheep or the lamb hugged to his breast. I wonder how Christianity would be different if Jesus as the good shepherd was the primary symbol of our collective faith. You know, for, for many Christians and for all of the people of the world, who amongst us does not need the Good Shepherd right now, right? So perhaps when you're praying, you might personalize this prayer, the Lord is my shepherd, and depending on the disposition of your heart, you might say, Jesus, my shepherd. You also might imagine yourself as, as the lamb on Jesus' shoulders when you feel as though you can no longer go on or you're particularly troubled that you might imagine yourself hugged to Jesus' breast. There are many, many, many translations of the 23rd Psalm. And at the end of the service, uh, Father Justin is going to sing one of those translations. We know it as hymn 645, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. Now I invite you when the time comes to, to sing along or, or to, to put down your coffee and to listen or perhaps to get on your knees. Father Justin sang it in the sanctuary here yesterday and I, I stood in this pulpit and I cried for it is most beautiful. It is the 23rd Psalm paraphrased and Christianized and sung to a beautiful Irish melody. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So. That is an aspirational prayer, I shall not want, because the truth of it is, I do not know anybody who is not wanting, right? We, we all want this virus to go away. We, we, all want, we all want to be safe, and we all want to be healthy, and we don't want anybody to die from this. And we want people to have enough money to pay their bills, right? And we don't want social distancing, and we do not want social isolation. And most of us, we just want our old life back, right? We want Lent back as we started it on Ash Wednesday, right? That Lent where we control what is self-denial, we control the deprivation that we want in order to somehow please the Lord, right? On Ash Wednesday, none of us had any idea what we were going to give up for this Lent. This is a Lent that came to us. It is not of our own choosing, right? It is a stripping beyond anything we ever would have chosen, and it is setting our hearts on God. It just is, because so much is being stripped away. The psalm continues, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I love this line. I love the word maketh. 
The Lord makes us, right? The Lord makes us lie down. This is the exact opposite of the Protestant work ethic and the opposite of works righteousness. He makes us lie down. And when I think about lying down, I think of that yoga posture known as Shavasana. And those of you who are practitioners know uh, Shavasana is to lie flat on your back with your legs out and your feet slightly spread and your arms slightly away from your body with your hands up. So that all of the movement in yoga leads to no movement and all of the activity leads to passivity and stillness and complete receptivity. I think that's really what the psalm is getting at. And it says we're to lie down in green pastures. And what, of course, does a sheep need but green pastures? And when you're praying, is perhaps, you'll, perhaps you'll imagine yourself in a green pasture. Or perhaps even better, what you'll do is you'll go outside and find yourself a green pasture and lie down on whatever patch of earth you can find. Here I'm reminded of a story of a man I used to know in Cleveland. Uh, he was a healer. Previously, he had been a psychologist. He went to Brazil on vacation, and he was bitten by a bug. He came back, and he went to the Cleveland Clinic, and eventually they sent him home and said, there's nothing we can do for you. Do you want to die here, or would you like to die at home? So he went home, and while he was home, he decided that, you know, his great love was being a gardener, so he decided he'd go out into his garden and die in his garden. But the thing is, he didn't die. He lay in the garden for a long time. And he began to feel that he was being healed by the earth. The energies of the earth were rebooting his body. And when I met him, he was most assuredly <laughs> fully alive and that he could then see people in such a way that he could see their energy systems. And we all looked like stained glass windows to him. And he had a way of shooting energy out of his feet into people. And this is the man who really cured the, the double plantar fasciitis I had in my feet from too much running. I once told this story to job interview because they wanted to know if I'd ever had a healing experience. And I was immediately rejected <laughs> for the job, which I think is quite funny. So what I'm saying to you is this. Perhaps what you need to do is go outside. Lie down, feel the, the weight of your body on the earth, and feel the earth holding your body. Feel the coolness of the earth below you and the warmth above you. And here I'm reminded of, of a Lent in the original church, the early church. Remember that the word Lent comes from the uh, old English word for spring. And of course, Christianity, the cradle of Christianity is the Middle East. And in those early Lenten days, the pastors of these Christian communities would leave their congregations for the whole of Lent, and they would go out into the desert. But they would not go into the desert for deprivation. They went into the desert because it was blooming with life. They went into the desert for water and food and warmth and new life, and they went into desert to lie on the earth. So go outside and let spring sing to you, right? Listen to the birds, stare up into the sky, look into the treetops and see the buds, the buds just starting. Find a crocus and lay your head next to it, right? Just feel the air and then let yourself just 
be. For he leadeth beside the still waters. This form of prayer leads you beside still waters. Still waters is the deep rest of letting go completely. It is the deep rest of letting go completely. These past few weeks have been like white water rafting. And the result of that is that our psyches are like a hurricane in a bathtub. We're all all over the place, splashing around. Let the Lord calm your waters. Be the calm in the storm. For he restoreth our soul. That is what God does. God restores our soul, right? We are restored and healed from the inside out. The Lord's touch is the balm in Gilead, right? It is the salve on our woundedness, and it is also the strength in our spirits. Let the Lord work on you. Do not be your own master. Do not be your own king. Do not be your own shepherd. For he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So I ask you, what is the path of righteousness for you now? What are you to do for his namesake? Perhaps the path of righteousness for you now is to do the right thing and to follow the CDC guidelines for God's sake, and not just your sake, and not just for the common good, but for God's sake, for the mission of God in our world. Perhaps the path of righteousness leads to your home, your place of shelter, and you should stay there and not get antsy and leave. Right? Perhaps the Lenten discipline that you are to follow is to wash your hands seemingly without ceasing and to keep distance of six feet. Right? Perhaps that is what God desires for you now in this time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? Oh my gosh. Do we know more about the shadow of the valley of death than we knew before? This is no longer just out there. This is right here. This pandemic is like the valley of the shadow of death. It makes all places feeling seemingly dangerous. And that goes from bistros to bowling alleys, right? From gas stations to grocery stores. It all feels very eerie. When I drove to work this morning, there just was not another car on the road. The psalmist goes on to say, I will fear no evil. Well, that's a bold statement, right? That is an aspirational prayer. There are some times when fear is a good thing. It is our internal warning system. And it is a good thing to fear COVID-19. It is going to kill some people, a lot of people. It has already killed our beloved Bill Pike. Perhaps... A better translation for now might be, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death during this pandemic, I will not be overly anxious. So anxiety is different than fear. Fear has an object. Anxiety is just a cloud of discomfort that engulfs us. This is a good prayer for us now for 
it is, does us no good to be overly anxious, right? Anxiety is a virus all of itself. It spreads. We exhaust ourselves and we exhaust those we speak with. We make ourselves crazy or, or sick with stress. Fear the virus. No anxiety. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Right? That is as good as it gets. The divine presence. To walk with us through all of this. Right? Thy rod and thy staff. The rod, of course, is to beat back the wolf. To beat back that which can harm us. But the staff, remember how the staff is shaped with a softened and round curve. The staff is to gently pick us up and to bring us back when we go astray. So let the Lord bring you back. Let the Lord be your shepherd. For thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. C.S. Lewis, the great writer and apologist for Christianity, really, really found this line distasteful. He, he compared it to eating a feast in front of your neighbors, your neighbors who had looked down their nose at you. He actually refers to the neighbors as the Joneses, right? And he said, this is like eating a feast in front of the Joneses, gigantic feast, after they have fallen in hard times, and then not inviting them to the feast. When speaking of this passage, he said, the pettiness and vulgarity of it, especially in such surroundings, are hard to endure. I have a completely different take on this uh, than C.S. Lewis, which uh, sounds odd because C.S. Lewis is a somebody and I'm not. But my reading of it is quite different, right? So for me, this is not about petty vulgarity. What this is about is that God gives us an indomitable spirit, a fighter spirit, right? So that we will not be defeated in the face of our enemies. And there is no doubt about it, the world's enemy right now is this new coronavirus. No doubt about it, right? Here at the church, we have a themed year, and the theme this year is the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And I believe that the banquet that the Lord sets before us now is that we are to be fully alive in the face of this virus, in the presence of this pandemic. Just because the news is terrible does not mean that we should shrink away from being fully alive. Just because we walk through the valley of the shadow of death does not mean that we should be a shadow of our true selves, right? I mean, listen to what St. Paul said to us in the reading today that Jill read. Live as children of light. Live as children of light. We must not let the shadow of death snuff out our light. More than ever, your light needs to burn bright within you. We, as a community of human beings in the world, need everybody's light to burn bright right now. In the midst of this pandemic, we need bright lights. Pray that you might be anointed by this Spirit, right? That your cup might runneth over with love, and that you might more so live a life of love. Whether or not that is lived out in prayer, the household you're in, by volunteering at safe distances, whatever it is, let your cup runneth over. 
So the psalm continues, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Here I actually like one of the other translations where it says, uh, it replaces follow with pursue. So goodness, God's goodness and mercy are in pursuit of us. Oh, I love that. Because so often it seems that in our spiritual lives, we are trying so hard to close the gap or to get closer, right? But how beautiful it is to think God of God in pursuit of us, right? The hound of heaven wants you. So receive the hound of heaven. Set your heart on gratitude and let goodness and mercy come to you. Open your heart like a flower and let it come. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This prayer ends with the surety of eternal life uh, in the mansions of God, that, that there is a room prepared for us. As most of you know who are listening to this stream, Bill Pike, a 50-year member of our parish, at least 50-year member of our parish, died uh, in part as the result of COVID-19. Bill was an old-school gentleman, right? He was a Christian churchman in the classic sense. He was a pillar of our community for countless years. He was a pillar in every community that Bill was a member of. He was a man of deep faith. He was humble and fun. He was just a great guy. He was just a great guy. Bill died of COVID-19, but he was not defeated. No way. Not, not this man who went to Annapolis, right? He may have lost the battle, but he won the war. His body is dead, but his soul is very much alive. As a sign of this, when Bill was cremated, in his hand there was a wooden cross, and also uh, just for a sprinkle of fun, a, 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 a feast spread before the enemy, he wore a t-shirt that said, fully alive. Now it may sound ironic, but what it really is is to say, Bill's body is dead, but he is fully alive in a new dimension, and no doubt living to the glory of God. COVID-19 cannot kill the soul, and it cannot defeat God. We heard this morning that another beloved member of our congregation died last night. And this news comes to so many of you who know him. Joe Emlinger died. Joe is one of our beloved members, and I, I hope that you will hear me. Uh, Joe did not die of complications from COVID-19. Joe was in hospice care, and he was ready to die. said to me, I want to die. I just want to follow the path. He kept doing this with his hand. I just want to follow the path. This was Joe's paths, path of righteousness. I just want to follow the path. And what he was talking about is, I just want to live the final days of my life so that the Lord will receive me for the Lord to take him. He said, I do not know when the Lord will take me. Many of you have heard of the extraordinarily beautiful last rites that were done for Bill Pike while he was in the ICU. And I want you also to know that there was an equally extraordinary and beautiful last rites done for Joe Emlinger. In this case, it was done on FaceTime, and Joe was in his room with his two incredible sons, Joe Jr. and Paul. 
and put their phone in front of Joe and Joe Jr. and Paul knelt beside their dad and they laid hands on their father. And I spoke to Joe and told him that I loved him and that we all love him. And that we read, I read, the prayer of last rites. And at the part where the priest lays their hand on the person's head, Joe had each of his sons lay a hand on his head. And when it was done, he was at peace. He was really at peace. Joe was a living beatitude, right? The beatitudes in Matthew's gospel, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall see God. Joe was truly a man who was poor in spirit, but rich, rich, rich in humility and in love. In this past week now, we have two of our own who live on a farther shore and a greater love, and we as a community are going to miss both of these men dearly. (laughs) They were the best you can get. But we're going to miss them dearly, but I can tell you, we are going to move forward in faith, and we are going to move forward fully alive, and we are going to move forward because we know that the Lord is our shepherd, shepherd, and that at the end, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.